With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I am obsessed with Sochil Gonzalez's debut novel, Olga Dies Dreaming, which is to say I am obsessed with Sochil herself, given how much of her own life story is baked into her work. The quick plot, Olga, a wedding planner for New York's elite, and her brother, Prieto, a congressman representing their gentrifying neighborhood in Brooklyn, are each a public success and a private mess. Their mom, Blanca, left her kids to be raised by their grandmother so that she, Blanca, could advance a militant political cause. And now, as Puerto Rico faces down a devastating hurricane, Blanca has come barreling back into their lives. There is a love story and political corruption and brilliant missives of Puerto Rico status. But Olga is, to me, fundamentally about liberation. So my conversation with Sochil focuses on the expectations that were placed on her as a kid, how she freed herself from those expectations, how she chose to see being 40 and unmarried with no kids as providing her the freedom to take a big leap, one that has undoubtedly paid off not only as Olga on the New York Times bestsellers list, it's being turned into a Hulu series, and how her mother's absence has shaped her desire to be a mom herself. Sochil, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted. And I'm a big fan of yours. So I'm very Stop. delighted. Stop. I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> and, and I'm freaking out because it is all happening for you. Oh my God. It's so weird. <laughs> like, it's so weird. It's like, you hope it's going to happen. And then you're also secretly terrified. You know, you put anything out in the public. And then it's like, oh no, like people are meeting them and loving them. And this is like, beautiful and crazy. And so, yeah, it's just wild. It's been a wild few weeks. It strikes me that in your personal bio, you have two very simple sentences next to each other. I went to public school. I went to Brown. And those two sentences and two life experiences next to each other say so much. Oh, it's so weird. Now I'm going to get like weirdly emotional. You know, I wrote that because 
when I was trying to decide if I had the guts to write, just period, I rebought Loose Women. And in her bio at that time, Sandra Cisneros would say, Sandra Cisneros is nobody's wife and nobody's mother. And I knew why she said that. I understood why. And then I was like, I need to put this because I think so often you see one thing and you assume one story and you see another thing and you assume another story. And I needed people to see that that's that. And part of why I wanted to do the TV adaptation was because I want people to understand the tiny pains of needing to move in between worlds. And it's almost like in sci-fi, like if you were going through a membrane and every time you inflict a little tiny wound on yourself, like a little rip or something. And a friend of mine, who's also a fabulous writer, a Latina writer, was like, it took me a while to read because sometimes I would recognize something that I had compromised in myself and I had to put the book down. And I just wanted, I don't know, I wanted to pay homage to that and that back and forth, this and that fluency. I just needed to document that and let us see that for ourselves. There's a moment in the book, and I don't want to talk about too much in the book because every single one of you needs to read the book and it needs to sort of exist on the page. But your protagonist is by training a wedding planner, which is a life you have led. And she's at some like fancy party where she is both supposed to be playing the role of arm candy and building new business for herself. And there is a minor calamity Mm -hmm. as happens at events where like a tray goes flying and she immediately flies into planner mode where she talks to the other person is like, okay, here's how we're going to fix this. Like, blah, 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 blah. And she embarrasses the rich person she is with because she has reminded him that she is fundamentally part of the server class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had these come to Jesus moments. There came this weird turning point where I was literally under somebody's wedding dress helping her pee. Like, and I thought to myself, you both have Ivy League degrees. How did you choose this? What was the weird subconscious thing going on that you didn't feel? And I think it took me 20 years to raise myself to have the same confidence that I hope your children will have. I was raised so modestly to have such modest ambitions that I just wanted a job. Like I was like, I told somebody, I was like, I wanted a door with a bedroom. You know, like we lived in a railroad apartment. I wanted a door with a bedroom. And after that moment, I just realized we are always the first to roll up our sleeves And then at the same time, we then get positioned or seen in this tiny little way. And I I felt a lot of pain about it. And it wasn't laziness that made me keep her a wedding planner because I toyed with other careers. It's just the perfect career to show where you are sort of equals, like your taste is valued, and yet you're not a guest at the dinner. And so that scene... That exact thing had not happened to me, but that scene was metaphorical for what I felt so often for so many of us and that I know I personally had felt. You're just being a good human being and somehow that being a good human being sets you into some sort of helper class. But is what is that? Is that a pre-perception that's already there? I don't know, you know, and I and I just wanted to put it on the page, I guess. Throughout Olga Dies Dreaming, mom comes in and out. Yeah. Right. Was mom in and out in your own childhood? No. You know, my mother came once a year for Christmas, but then my grandparents really couldn't accept. Nobody could accept this was like abandonment. Does that make sense? And I, but like, they would do these weird things where, like, I had a 
boy, uh, an inappropriately aged boyfriend. I was like 14. He's like 17 and joined the Marines. And his parents wanted me to go to see his graduation from Paris Island. And my grandparents were like, you need to call your mother and ask her permission. Like this woman doesn't even know me, but I would have to call her and ask her for weird permissions and things like that. And so we had this relationship where she would pass a lot of judgment. And I just, that idea of not being able to be a person to somebody and yet being made to still belong to them was a way that I felt very confined. And so the letters became a symbolic way to talk about that type of relationship that I didn't realize. And that's been interesting and it's been beautiful to talk to people about motherhood actually ended up touching a lot of people like where they feel a lot of people feel they aren't completely allowed to, to be their full selves in that relationship with their mother. And how do you live with that? And how do you navigate it? And that you don't feel heard. My mom was definitely out. And yet I can't say she wasn't there because she was at my wedding. She was at my high school. Like I was made to give her a place of honor for important occasions, but I wasn't ever allowed to hold any trauma or anger over it. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Part of the reason that it's so interesting to me, beyond the, re the reason you saw me looking at my phone is because literally every section of the book that I highlighted was about motherhood. Like it has such <laughs> oh, profound so yeah. revelations about motherhood and the expectations we have of our children and the expectations we have of our mothers. But I do think we are more culturally familiar with the absence of a father. Yes. For any number of reasons. Yes whether yeah. it's incarceration or yes. a high-level job, that it's just like yes. the idea of dads not being around yes. is very common, unfortunately. And 
the true anomaly in your upbringing is the absence of your mother. Yeah. Even in my main care, my grandmother, my mother's mother was very depressive and very depressed. And so my grandfather was my primary caregiver. It's interesting. The other Rorschach test is your age and how you see Blanca, because older women, boomer women, older Gen X women are like, go Blanca. Because there was this certain asleep at the wheeldom that you were forced to take autopilotness with womanhood. And just how do you get out of your house? How do you get your own place? How do you have any kind of agency? And in some cases, marriage gave you the, the pathway to that. And then the next thing you know, you're having kids. That was the only roadmap. And, and I think that I made a lot of peace. Not You can make peace with somebody from a distance, if that makes sense. I made a lot of peace with my mother in the writing of this book, in the, in a way that therapy I never could have, in the sense that I had to see her as her own person and not write her as a villain or as a good person, like as just as a person. And at the end of it, I came to the conclusion that they come to in the book, which says, like, I just don't think my mother was ever meant to be a mother. There is another line in your personal bio that I was like, you're really burying the story here. <laughs> I got into Iowa and blew up my whole life in New York and moved to the land of corn. I want to know more about blowing up <laughs> your entire life because I think something happens at 40. You are not the first woman I've ever spoken to where something clicks at 40 where like, this is not the life I imagined for myself. Yeah. And it becomes time to either take the risk or decide that you're going to live a life of regret. But most of the people I've talked to, it's all worked out right? Like, and I, it doesn't always. And I think we also skip over what the risk is. I would love to hear more about the depths of the risk that you took. Well, it's funny because it actually has a lot to do with ambition, I think. There was this middle ground from when I got out of wedding planning to before I went to Iowa, where I had a really great job at Hunter College. And I was working for the president of Hunter and I was doing a lot of really interesting things. And yet at the same time, I had time to write. Like I would write in the mornings, I'd write on the weekends. And I had time to still see my friends. And I had this very cute apartment and I lived in a neighborhood that I loved and I knew everybody in my community. I was very happy. I had a 401k. I had a great salary. I didn't feel like a servant anymore. You know, like I was very proud of what I did. And I was like, could you just be done being ambitious? Why do you have to keep going after the big thing? There's a line that Blanca has. It felt small in my own skin. And I think that was what it was. Like, I just felt like I knew my brain could do other things and I just had never given it the chance to do it. And that was why I did it. I think the risk was that I was actually not unhappy. Like, it's easy to walk away from something when you're deeply unhappy, but I actually was very, very happy. It wasn't even a choice of like happier, it was like different. And that was kind of why it felt like a risk. I'm legitimately curious about this, both how the the book really caught. Every article about you and about Olga Dye's Dreaming includes the phrase highly anticipated debut. Yeah, yeah. It's actually sort of random. When I was a wedding planner, I had a blog and one of my nice clients, because I had some not nice clients, one of my very nice clients was like, you should really be writing a memoir. Like your blog is so good. And so she had introduced me to a woman over email. We never met. We spoke on the phone once and we always just emailed. And I wrote a proposal for a memoir and she was like, your writing is amazing. This is like in 2012, but this is too dark. People don't want a dark memoir about a wedding planner. And years later, I had gotten into Iowa and I'd won this disquiet prize and I had like a hundred pages of Olga written at that time. And I was taking, 
my, my childhood best friend who works in publishing, she loves bar method classes and I hate them, but I would go to hang out with her basically. And so in the locker room, she sees another woman that takes a class with us and she was like, you need to meet. She just got into Iowa. Molly is an agent. And because our names are spelled weird, we didn't connect it until we followed up over email and it was the same agent. And so I sent her the first hundred pages of Olga and she she said, I think you're a lifelong talent. You're an epic talent. And I see where your career is going. And I don't just want to send you for a book. I want to send you a book for film. And it was off of 100 pages of Olga. She's like, this is going to be a special, important book. She was so passionate about it. When it went to auction, it ended up being like a 10 house auction. So then people were talking. But what it also happened is that the you know, there aren't enough Latinas in media, period, publishing, film, TV, but it was making its hands into the few women who there were and then a few men. And so I actually feel a lot of that buzz was, there were a lot of other types of people that, that loved the book, but it was Latinas really talking to each other and talking about it. And so by the time you know, we got to like the press points. People were like, I've been hearing about it. I really want to see it. I really want to hear it. And then I had this, got the beautiful cover, which is amazing. My publisher just believed in it so much. My agent just believed in it. And I think I, you know, I, I, I knew there was a path to sales that also obviously motivated me. And the great part was I went, when I went to Iowa, I decided every single thing that I let traumatize me as an undergraduate, I'm not going to let happen this time. And I just felt like I had, like I was on a mission. Like I really, I could barely sleep once I got to Iowa. And and the thing that I wanted to say to anybody out there that's like single and doesn't have kids, what was beautiful was that I had a moment, especially when I turned 40, where it's like, I could have decided, oh, everything's a failure. You got a divorce. You never had had kids. You haven't met anybody in a while. You've had a couple of these really terrible breakups. But instead I was sort of like, you aren't married. You don't have kids. You can go anywhere. You can go to Iowa. You can spend your time however you want. And to see that and embrace it, at that moment, it was right. And that was sort of a really cool, empowering aspect of it. You've said that's very much at the heart of what Olga's journey was. And it's at the heart of what my journey was, of being so lost and clinging to anything and trying to find my own center again. In that period, what was it you were clinging to? Oh my God. I would cling to any kind of affirmation. I would go to an envelope opening if they told me that my name was going to be on the inside. Like, I'm like, this is a funny, true story. I was so lost at Brown, but I was very popular because my grandfather had told me to go and be popular. Right? Like, and so I was asked to run for class president. I was the first Latina at Brown that was a class president. My senior week, like when you're supposed to be doing all these things, the daughter of a very famous and rich person had a party on her stepfather's yacht and everybody on the senior council was invited except for me. And I, I, whatever it was, I don't know if it was my own thing, if it was their thing, but like whatever it was, no matter how I might look or whatever, I did not fit their version of who this group of people was supposed to be. And I held that so tight that I couldn't do enough to like feel affirmed by this institution. Does that make sense? Like I have given them money. I have been on like every council. I've gotten awards, blah, blah, blah. And then I was asked to be on a trustee committee and I got there and a man who had met me maybe 30 times in my years since I've graduated 
suddenly like the book is coming out and comes over and says, oh, it's our famous author. And then introduced himself. And what was great about that moment that was a present, (laughs) what was a present about that moment was that I realized that I had been trying to heal an old wound and that it didn't matter. And that if I wanted to be there and I wanted to keep this role, I was going to do it because I wanted to make sure that other people weren't ingesting that trauma. I had this this partner, this guy that I was, my boyfriend, I guess we call it, even though he's a grown man, it's such a weird term to use when you're older. And I know I found him so boring and so tedious, but he looked like the kind of guy that would never have dated me at Brown. I, 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 I literally was like steps away from moving in together, literally to, to heal an ego wound, if that makes sense. So when I, when you say like, what were you after? I was after everything that I felt had rejected me. And I think some of the stuff that happens in the book for her, I just extrapolated, you know? And one of the lines that makes me cry is like when she's actually reflecting on her sex life and how she'd been, not had sex without disdain. Um, even when I wrote it, I was like, ah. <laughs> like, I was like, ah. Like, but I think sometimes we look for these partners and we're trying to fix something or make up for something. And especially in the success space, you know, like where we are going out with people that are also ambitious and also whatever they are. And like, we're not just human souls connecting. We're like something on an arm or something on a resume. And that's a weird, weird place for partnership. When you talk about chasing all of those things and the approval and the ego stuff, I don't know that I see where she lands on her own relationship to motherhood. Meaning, I don't know where you land. Yeah. Well, on so your own. actually, I'll tell you this is that I am going to freeze my eggs. I'm literally starting the process of freezing my very, my geriatric, but literary eggs. Actually, in a funny way, the, the bringing the book out into the world and the working on the production of the pilot. What I realized is that I had had this narrative in my head that because my mother wasn't a good mother, I would probably not be a good mother and I should just not do that. And I realized that I needed to free myself from defining my life choices. Like that the next step was actually to not just eliminate something. It was to free myself from defining my life choices that way. I want to just say the work of raising a toddler is like terrifying, especially at my age. But I know that I didn't want to take that option off the table. And it was super emotional when I went in for the consult and I walked out and I was like, oh my God, you can totally do this. I, you know, I wrote an end for her in the book that Funnily enough, like a year later or two years later, I guess, like, I don't know that I would have kept that same end. There was something about like, it felt very freeing. Like it felt so freeing to come out of that. And like, and you know, and I had the money to do it. And the idea that I could turn that pain and like get myself like a stable house, I could pay for my eggs. And I just felt like what a a poetic reward for finally being honest. I love that so much. Thank you for doing this, Ochu. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. 
Paulina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.